This is episode 291 with clinical psychologist and the director of workplace well-being at the University of Colorado Health Hospital, a six-time Boston Marathon qualifier, Dr. Justin Ross. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement. Because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. Please connect with me anytime through strengthrunning.com, on Instagram at JasonFitz1, or on the Strength Running YouTube channel. And if you enjoy this podcast, please support our sponsors who help us keep the lights on. First is Prevenex. Now, I have never partnered with a supplement company until now. Prevenex is, in my view, the best. They only use the most bioavailable, clinically tested ingredients, the optimal form and dose of each ingredient, pharmaceutical-grade manufacturing, testing of raw ingredients and finished products, and for every purchase you make, they donate vitamins to kids in need. It's a supplement company that's voluntarily putting themselves under much more scrutiny and holding themselves to higher standards than they actually have to. And one great example of their products that I know runners will love is their joint health product. The main ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days, which is practically unheard of. And beyond that, it's also clinically proven in double-blinded, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. I actually share a testimonial of a listener who experienced this firsthand at the end of the episode. And you can get 15% off your order with code JASON15, it's not case-sensitive, at Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com with code JASON15 for 15% off your order. We're also supported by Inside Tracker. Created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data, Inside Tracker provides a personalized health analysis from the most relevant source, your own body. Get your blood tested to find the rate at which you're aging, recommendations to optimize your health, and any physiological red flags that might negatively impact your running. Now you can get 20% off their entire store at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning with code STRENGTHRUNNING. Get yours at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning and use code STRENGTHRUNNING for 20% off. My guest today is Dr. Justin Ross, a clinical psychologist located in my hometown here of Denver who specializes in working with endurance athletes to hone their mental skills. Justin is also a hell of an athlete. He's qualified for the Boston Marathon six times. He's completed in two Ironman 70.3 distance races, and recently completed the Leadville 100-mile mountain bike race. You can also hear more from Justin in episode 122 of the podcast. In this episode, we're diving deep into the topic of mental toughness. How do we define this in a way that makes sense for runners? What are the effective ways of building mental toughness, and what are the strategies that might be counterproductive? How do we build this skill in a systematic way over time? And do non-sport activities, like say cold plunges or saunas, impact our mental toughness? If you're someone who may give up in races or workouts, maybe you lose focus during long runs, or you often fall victim to that negative voice in your head telling you to slow down or stop, you're going to love this episode. And for even more mental skills training, don't miss our free mindset course at strengthrunning.com brain, because it's just important to train your brain as it is your legs. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Justin Ross. Hey, Justin, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a couple of years. Yeah, man, it's great to be back. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me back on the show. And gosh, I think we, we had a pandemic since the last time we met. I know, I know. We we chatted, I think, early 2020, and now certainly a, a couple things have happened since then. <laughs> but, yeah, life has had a few ups and downs and twists and turns in the past few years, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, life doesn't stop when we don't chit-chat. Justin, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> right. If only there were, a, you know, the pause button for all things, it would be incredible. Yeah, well... Today, we're discussing mental toughness, and I'm excited to chat about this with you because I think this is such an important topic for runners. I think it's it's one of the 
the key mental skills that runners can build. But it's also a very broad topic. I think it's defined in many different ways by many different people, depending on who you ask. So I'd love to just start with a very basic question. Justin, how do you define mental toughness for runners? Well, I, I'm going to play the psychologist card right here. And I'm going to th- just even throw it back on your audience just for a second. You know, as you're listening here, before we start talking about and give away my definition, just ask everybody, think about this. How do you define mental toughness? What does that mean for you as a human being? What does that mean for you as an athlete, right? Because the starting point, like you said, Jason, is so broad. And there are a lot of areas that we have agreement on in the realm of performance psychology, but mental toughness is one of those areas that like, like there's a research paper that said anything that seems to enhance performance gets lumped into the category of mental toughness. And so it can be a very hard thing for us to have even agreement about even amongst ourselves. And despite that, I think there's a couple models that really make sense to me and we can, we can certainly dive into the weeds on what those models are and what that means for you and your training and racing. Yeah, let, let's talk about some of those definitions, because I think it's important for runners to have some kind of working idea on very specifically what we're actually talking about. And I think there's some really great definitions for specifically endurance runners. And I also think there's some outdated or maybe counterproductive definitions of mental toughness that might actually hurt your ambitions to become a, a better runner. So maybe actually we can start with some of those you know, outdated or ineffective definitions of mental toughness. Um, I certainly have a couple ideas of what that might be in my head, but maybe we can have you start, Justin. Yeah, I, I think that's a great place to start. Like what, what is, uh, what isn't mental toughness? Let's start there, right? Mental toughness is not running when you're injured. Mental toughness is not running when you're sick. Mental toughness is not operating from a perspective of not listening to your body because your mind wants to hit a certain volume for the week or feels like if you miss a workout, you're not going to be successful. And so the antiquated outdated model is like this idea of I have to push through no matter what, right? Even if I'm sick, even if I'm feeling injured, even if I don't feel good, I just have to keep pounding pavement. That's not really what we understand mental toughness to be. And I think a lot of people for a long time have operated under that, that idea. Yeah, for sure. I think when I look back on my competitive career, I was surrounded by other runners. And I was often one of those runners who thought that I'm tough. So I'm going to run through, you know, this little ankle niggle. I'm going to run through this little bit of knee pain. It's probably nothing. And it's almost like a, it's almost like a form of optimism that is wildly misguided (laughs) because you're not listening to your body and you're just believing that everything's going to be okay despite all the warning signs that it's not okay. Totally. I, I do think optimism holds a place in the conversation of mental toughness, but irrational optimism doesn't, right? The belief that, oh, this isn't a problem, that's actually, that's ignorance. You're ignoring something that's a concern. And this is how injuries can maybe start or be exacerbated. And it just, it prolongs you from being successful. Yeah. And I think we can separate mental toughness from a general caution in our training. You know, like if you're coming back from COVID or if you're coming back from, you know, patellofemoral pain syndrome, you probably want to be cautious with your training. And that caution, I think, can be defined as mental toughness because you probably want to get back into things at a much more aggressive level than you probably should be. So having a a slower transition to your full training load, I think is a very smart thing to do. It's also a very cautious thing to do. And I I would define that as mental toughness from, you know, my running coach's perspective. What do you think of that? Is that a little off base? No, I I think you're, you're onto something, right? I think maybe the conversation around mental toughness needs to be inserted around the idea of, of having the psychological resources to do challenging things. Now, sometimes the most challenging thing to do is to listen to your body and to stay home, right? That's really hard. Again, because we often embed these underlying ideas and beliefs that the pathway to success is to push through any type of discomfort or pain. Now, there's a fine line between when a training run is uncomfortable because you're pushing your limits and you need to push forward versus when it's uncomfortable because there's pain that's signaling danger. 
right? And that's the tipping point. So maybe the redefinition is mental toughness is a psychological set of resources and skills that you can embed when you're challenged. I love that. I love that. And Lord knows runners are challenged, right? <laughs> That's one of uh, the things that we love to do is challenge ourselves. And I was thinking it might be really helpful to contextualize this definition that we've been working on. Can you give us a couple examples of how an athlete might demonstrate mental toughness in, let's say, two or three very different scenarios? Absolutely. I think let, let's start with sort of a, maybe a broad understanding of of maybe the best idea around mental toughness. Again, knowing that there's a couple. The, the idea that makes the most sense to me and probably to others in this space is it's called the goal expectancy self-control model of mental toughness because it really indexes on a few factors. One, it focuses on the importance of goals and really the understanding that mental toughness isn't something that you inherently have. It's a set of skills and resources that you can deploy in relation to your goals, especially when your goals feel challenged or threatened. So that's kind of part one. Part two is the role of what's called self-efficacy, right? Self-efficacy is this underlying set of beliefs that we have about what we think we can be successful with and what we think our resources are to navigate through challenge. And then the last part of this model is around self-control, which is our, again, a set of skills to withstand fatigue, to withstand the messages that may be getting in the way of us ultimately being successful in whatever endeavor we're embarking on. Now, you've frequently used the word skill to talk about these different components of mental toughness. And that makes me think that because it's a skill, these can be learned. They can be built over time. They can be developed. And I think this is a really important piece of this to really, uh, to really understand because, it, like you said, it's not something that you just have or you don't have. It's something that you can grow over time. Can you talk a little bit about you know, this idea that you know, your suite of mental skills can be built over time and it's not fixed? Absolutely. The, so the starting point for me is thinking about language development maybe a weird place to think about how we start. But but think about this. Our, our mind is highly trainable, right? So as adults, we could go and we could learn any language that we wanted to, right? So I'm an English speaker. I speak a little bit of Spanish. But if I wanted to learn more Spanish, I could dedicate time and energy to taking a course, to learning the language, to practicing. And over time, I could speak both English and Spanish and a host of other languages as well. Now everybody's mind works like that. And the truth is we have a default set of operating mental skills or language that we use, just like we learned English, right? You learn this way of talking to yourself and having beliefs about yourself based on the environment that you grew up in, based on the experiences that you had, and based on what you do in challenging moments. Now, one of the ways, so another weird idea, but if you wanted to learn Spanish now as an adult, the first thing you don't do is you don't try to unlearn English right? In fact, you can't, it's not possible. You can't unlearn your old operating system, but you can learn Spanish through repetition and through practice. Mental skills, as it relates to who you are as an athlete in your training, out of your training, in your racing, all of that, it's like, it's like learning Spanish. So you go into it with this preset of beliefs and thoughts and narrative that you have, and then you work with it. So you, you bring awareness to it. You try to understand it. And then you overlay it with this new way of thinking that is ultimately in alignment with who you want to be as an athlete. That's the beauty of mental skills uh, in today's age as being an athlete. So do you look at these mental skills like mental toughness, just like learning a language? Like it's just something you can learn, like practically anything else? Absolutely. I, I absolutely think about the mental game, about psychology as learning the language. And it's the beauty of it. It's available for all of us at any moment in our lives. The challenge is uh, knowing what to do with it. And, and that's often what you hear in the space around performance psychology, sports psychology. There's a lot of ideas, even mental toughness, but nobody really teaches you how to train it. Nobody really tells you what to do when you're going out on a training run. Like, well, how do you work on the fundamental skills to become more mentally tough in the moment that you need to be? I think that's very reassuring for runners to hear who might have a history of 
pre-race anxiety or giving up during workouts or races or not really being consistent with their training because they can't really get themselves out the door. You know, a lot of the the signs of a lack of mental toughness because now we know it can be built, it can be learned over time. And just like any other skill, you know, you want to run a marathon, you've got to get your long run higher and higher so that you can actually finish 26.2 miles. And mental skills like mental toughness are just like that. They can be built just like your long run. And so I feel like that's very uh, reassuring that uh, runners can know that, hey, I'm not stuck with what I have. Right. Which is often a belief that people come into this this place with like, well, I, I can't really change this about me, right? I'm just kind of stuck with the way that I think. And um, it's a myth, right? That's a myth. We can all learn a different a different way of thinking. You just have to have the courage to start. You mentioned earlier that a big part of this is the beliefs that we have about ourselves, the way that we grew up, uh, the stories we tell ourselves. I'd love to share something from my racing career and, and just get your thoughts on it. When I was in high school, and I would say maybe late high school into college, I always believed that as a runner, whether I was running the mile on the track or I was running a cross-country race, I always believed that I had a good kick. Even if not every race of mine had a good kick, it was just like I'm capable of having a good kick. And so now, you know, hindsight's 2020. I look back on my career. I think back to all those races where I had a good kick, where I had a mediocre kick, where I didn't have a good kick at all. And I'm starting to think that that was just a story I told myself. And it certainly helped me have a good kick sometimes. You know, it didn't prevent me from having a good kick, but it certainly helped occasionally. And I'm just wondering if almost telling yourself a story, even if it's not necessarily true, is somehow beneficial for the endurance runner's mind in some of these scenarios. Well, think about like the, the core of what you just said is that it's empowering right? True or not true. It's empowering, right? And if you have this belief of I am capable, which is maybe the, one of the, the pillars of mental toughness, I believe in my capability. It's empowering in that moment to do whatever you need to do to finish when you're tired, right? Or when you're not feeling great. And so the, the challenge is always, it has to be credible enough, right? It can't be outlandish. It can't be grandiose. It can't be fabricated. It has to be credible enough and it has to come from a place that you authentically believe it, whether or not it's true. So it's this balance between sort of grandiosity and reality. But the whole idea is that it's empowering you in that moment to feel connected, to feel joy, to feel like you have the capability to be successful. This makes me think that, you know, it can be really helpful to almost lie to yourself a little bit the way that I was, you know, maybe, maybe there was a shred of truth to it. Maybe I was being a little bit grandiose, but I think it was overall probably a helpful mental strategy of mine, even though in hindsight, I don't think I was really thinking about it that deeply. Can you think of any other examples where it might be beneficial for athletes to tell themselves a little bit of a story that might be empowering, even if it's not a hundred percent true? Yeah, I, I think the the whole idea around capability is really important in whatever moment, because ultimately what happens for any endurance athlete, whether that's a, a, in a mile race or a marathon or an ultra, at some point you start to doubt capability because fatigue is accumulating in mind and in body. And it takes those resources to remind yourself that you are able to finish. And maybe that's finish one more lap. Maybe that's finish another five miles. Maybe it's I've got another five hours to go, but the belief around capability to be successful is very, very powerful. One that we all need to find a way to connect to. Yeah. I think that can be applied in so many different areas with training, with racing, with setting goals for yourself. I think that can all be really helpful as runners, you know, develop this skill. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Justin, in, in a similar sort of vein, you know, I used to kind of tell myself the story that I was a good kicker, but you know, how do you, can you potentially make rules for yourself? And I'm thinking specifically in a race situation that almost takes your brain out of the equation because often late in a race, your brain is not your best ally. It's telling you to slow down. It's telling you that you're uncomfortable. And I used to have some rules for myself. So for example, in the 1500, I would always start my kick 
300 meters out from the finish line. And this was like trying to run as hard as I could. Um, in an 8K cross country course, I would always start my kick at the four mile mark, gradually start picking people off in the last mile. Now, this wasn't always like absolutely possible for me based on how I was feeling, but I had these rules in my mind that enabled me to sort of forget how I was feeling, forget all the negative thoughts and that, you know, the, the little person on my shoulder telling me to slow down. Instead, it just like, this is how you're executing the race, regardless of how you feel. And I think this was a, a helpful strategy for me personally. But I was just wondering, like, what is the role of these kinds of strategies at almost short circuiting that negative voice in your head? Yeah, I, I think they're critical, actually. And the language that we use around that, that I use, we call them performance standards, right? And it's an orient around goal setting. And the reason we think about performance standards is we often get so focused on outcome goals that when outcome goals feel threatened because we're tired or we're off pace, we can layer that with frustration and anxiety. But if we have a set of performance standards, this is my default. This is how I'm going to operate in this moment, regardless of what's happening. I'm always going to kick at this point. I'm always going to pick up the pace at this point. I'm going to have this effort level that matches the requirements of what's in front of me. That performance standard takes out any of that anxiety. And you can always do that regardless of what your paces are telling you are happening. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point is just to not just think about what you want to race. I want to race a 320 marathon. I want to race a 2045 5k. But thinking about how you want to race, how do you want to execute this race in a way that makes you feel good, that makes you proud of your performance, regardless of what the outcome might be. I think that's an excellent process oriented goal that that can be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think we focus on that enough. This is really important as we're thinking about our calendars for the year, right? And I really, this is one of those skills I really push people to think about, right? And I, I was just on a call before this with um, the very high level athlete. And we were talking about the difference between a performance standard that's based around calm, focus, and confidence versus a performance standard that's based on anxiety, competition, pressure, and doubt, right? Those are psychological constructs, but you can just, even as you think about them, as I say them, they are very different paths for what's going to happen in that moment. One is going to set you up to not only feel better in that moment, but it's likely going to allow that kick to really take, take shape versus the other one. Like, I'm not sure, do I go now? Do I go later? What? Uh, I'm not sure what to do here. So those are always things that you can embed in your training every single time you lace up your shoes and you go out for a training run. This is probably a good point to, to start talking about the actual ways in which we can build mental toughness into our training. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned this earlier. This is the tricky part. This is the part that very few people actually discuss uh, or build into training plans. And, and I'm interested in the simple strategies that runners can incorporate into their training so that they can get a lot more out of their brain. Because I think the brain is arguably just as important as your legs and your lungs and your heart. Because if you, you don't have a good set of mental skills, you're never going to reach your potential. You're going to be flaky when it comes to training. You're not going to get as much out of yourself on race day. And it's just going to be really hard to, to see what you can potentially do in a real race situation. So, you know, from, from a training perspective, and we're, we're either doing a workout or a long run or even an easy run, what are some practical ways of working on this valuable mental skill? Well, you, you're right, right? The, the mind is the ultimate driver of decision-making. And we have to like start there, right? Your mind is going to tell a story about what's happening. It's going to then kick you into this decision about what to do in any given situation. So one of the hallmark skills around mental toughness that we talked about is this idea of self-efficacy. Now, this can be built every single day in your life as an athlete. Self-efficacy can be broken down. There's four ways actually to develop self-efficacy. The most important is probably your own personal experience, right? So what you do day in and day out, what accomplishments you have. So the reason that training days are so important are that they give you an opportunity to build this mental muscle, right? So every time you show up and you have a hard workout on the calendar, you either ride through it or you stop at some point. 
And I don't even care for most of my athletes if they hit their times, right? Paces don't matter. Effort and quality of execution is the building block of self-efficacy. So one of the ways to think about that is on like, let's say you have a harder speed workout and you're doing 10 reps of something by rep five and six, you start to get tired and you start to doubt your ability to be successful. If you shut it down there, just because it's uncomfortable, that's going to give you a story of, oh, I'm not so sure I can be successful in hard moments. If you ride through it and knock down those last four or five reps, even if they're off pace a bit, you build this mental muscle of saying, oh, look at that. I can really do hard, challenging things. So those are the, the, the smaller building blocks of what we see in this process. I really like this idea of almost like doing something difficult once just to show yourself you can do it. And then you can build a story around that, you know, and we were talking about my perceived ability, <laughs> not necessarily my actual ability to kick at the end of races. And I'm sure early in high school, I had a couple races where I did have a good kick. And then all of a sudden I made up this story in my brain that I was someone who had a good kick at the end of races, even though it was only true some of the time. And I think through consistent training and just being very process oriented, you can build an enormous amount of mental toughness because you're running at five in the morning or you're running when it's really cold out or really hot out, or you're struggling through that workout and finishing it when you don't really want to, or you're building your long run as you get ready for that marathon and you are consistently adding mileage to that run, you know, every couple of weeks. There's so many different ways we can think about how we push ourselves in training. And, and it doesn't have to be go faster or go harder. It could be, let's just get out the door today, even though it's four degrees out. You know, we, we both live in Denver, Justin, and it's been a it's been a chilly winter here. I don't know. Have you been enjoying the cold weather? Well, it's it's been like one of the coldest winters that I can ever remember. And again, you're right. I mean, there's something beautiful about that because the precursor to mental toughness is any challenge. Right. And that challenge could be, oh, it's zero five hundred, it's dark, it's cold, I don't want to get out of bed. That's a moment that you can build a mental toughness skill. Right. It doesn't have to be a hard workout, but you have to have challenge, you have to employ resources, and then you have to develop a story about it. Right. Look at what I did today. I overcame and I resisted the urge to go back to bed and I went out and I got my workout done. Those are all building blocks for this process. Yeah. When I put on my coach's hat and I think about building this skill for my athletes, the thing that I want them to do is to expose themselves to as many challenges as is appropriately possible, and then to be successful in navigating those challenges. And I'm almost agnostic on the challenge. You know, the challenge could be you have to get up early tomorrow to do your run and you're not used to that. Okay. That's throwing a little wrinkle into things. You're not used to getting up at four, five, six in the morning, whatever it might be, or it's really hot out and you're not used to that and you don't have the treadmill available today. Well, let's just go out and run by effort. And there's all these examples of little challenges that runners might navigate in their training. And I think they're all valuable. You know, we can think about some of the hardest challenges that runners can experience, you know, the last five or six miles of a marathon. And then, you know, waking up at five in the morning to a run, that's not that challenging, but it's certainly uncomfortable. And I think they all have value because they all work on men mental toughness in slightly different ways. And it builds a more robust mental toolkit. Absolutely. Look, look, Uno isn't hard, right? We can learn Uno. We can learn Dose. We can learn, like you can learn now, but applying them when you're in context, trying to get some communication with somebody who's a native Spanish speaker, a whole different scenario. And so that's why, you know, these micro challenges of learning Uno, of learning Dose when it's cold out, when it's dark out, those micro challenges. And the, it's really important that there's a clear story that you're embedding about the process. That's how when you get to mile 20 of a marathon, you have all these resources to feel naturally confident and self-efficacious. Yeah, I like that. It's just as varied as it can be provides you with as many resources um, as possible. And that's just going to help you in the long term. Now, Justin, we've talked about some, some good ways of building mental toughness. And what I like about this is that it's very um, flexible. You know, we can, we can pick a, a lot of, a lot of different 
um, types of challenges. We can employ them in our training. And it's just going to be a situation where we're building mental toughness in a lot of different ways. And, and I really like this. But one thing I want to ask you is, are there any ways of building mental toughness that, that don't work? You know, we mentioned earlier, you know, don't go running through an injury. That's not tough. Um, but, you know, are there things that runners do where they think they're building mental toughness, but you've found in your practice that this is actually not very productive? Yeah. The, the general theme there is when runners punish themselves and they use running as punishment for something. And this, this happens a lot actually in endurance sports, right? I, I had a bad day. I had a tough day. I'm stressed out. I'm just going to go punish myself out on, out on the road. Now there's something to harder effort being a stress reliever, but when you have to take it out on yourself as a form of punishment, that is not a mental toughness builder. As we talked about earlier, as you said here again, uh, yeah, running through injury or illness in, in the guise of this is making me mentally tough is not, it's just foolishness, right? There's a fine line between mental toughness and foolishness. That's part two. And then the third part I think is any, we often will train based on, based on deep ego compared to physiological adaptation, right? So I see a lot of people, you know, they, they have this desire. I have to run at this pace or else, right? My easy day has to be at this pace or else, even though they're probably not getting any aerobic benefit from that. They're running too hard. I see a lot of people get into streaks, running streaks of various kinds. Again, it starts from joy, but then at some point it no longer is fun. And they feel like they have to continue that streak because a year ago or five years ago, they said it was important. And now they're just being mentally tough by continuing. So again, some of the elements there, punishment, foolishness, streaking, running for ego, not for physiologic, physiological adaptation or joy. Those can be some of the hallmarks of it's not actually going to help you build mental toughness. Oh, I see a lot of myself and these mistakes that you're lift, listing <laughs> off here, Justin. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's interesting. One area where I don't really see myself is, is in taking it out on yourself or making your running punishing or, or somehow, you know, going out there just to make things difficult. I always wanted to make my running as easy as possible. I, you know, I wanted to run high mileage. I wanted to run fast, but I wanted to, to try to do it effortlessly, which obviously is impossible, but as effortlessly as possible. And I think that somehow made me not go as hard as I potentially could, uh, which is maybe a good thing in some scenarios. Um, but I'd love to talk a little bit about two specific scenarios that I think runners find themselves in a, a, very frequently. Number one is when you're running hard and then things get difficult. You know, you said rep five or six of 10 in a workout, things start to get fatiguing. You start to really feel it in your legs. You get that little voice inside of you that tells you, slow down or stop, or let's just do six reps instead of 10. What are some specific strategies to that very specific scenario of you're either in a race or a workout scenario, and as it happens, you're uncomfortable and you want to stop? What can you do then? So the first thing I always recommend is you have to normalize that voice. That voice is coming because of a, a deeply human perspective. It, it reflects your deep humanity. You are not alone. Everybody has that voice, right? Because often the, the thing I think about that's so beautiful about endurance sports, in a lot of ways, it's like it's pitting us very specifically against safety and uh, the, this evolutionary threat that our body is detecting, right? Our body is going to send these information signals like, hey, what are you doing here? This is like, it's starting to be uncomfortable. Like, I think you should slow down. The whole idea around performance psychology is what do you do in that moment, right? Because that is the moment that is going to really ultimately dictate a lot of fitness development, both in mind and body. So first step, normalize it. It makes sense that you're feeling this. The second is the, the more personally meaningful your why is, or the reason that you're out there or your motivation, the more likely you're going to be able to tap into resources to ride through that. So again, we talk a lot early in the season, what's your why, define your why. And it can be, I think a lot of people roll their eyes at that conversation, but it's a deeply important concept in mental toughness. And it's very clear, the more important, the more specific, the more meaningful your why is, the more likely you're going to fight in those moments 
to stay on top of it. Now, the third is this is where self-talk really comes into play. Self-talk is, again, English, Spanish. You get to decide what you do in that moment. And you may not get to decide the first language. The, the first language may be English, which is, hey, this is really hard. I think you should slow down. But you can develop the Spanish voice that comes on top of it and says, wait a minute, I'm in control. I'm going to be okay. I have a lot of motivation. I know how to respond here, right? And it's all about taking ownership of that voice in that moment to get through the challenge. And when you put that package together, you, you normalize it, right? You have the ability to, to then have a different set of self-talk on top of it. You're more likely to be successful, especially when that why is crisp and clear and yours. When I, again, put on my coach's hat, I think the normalization of the discomfort of that race-related fatigue and even, you know, soreness, some might call it pain, is, is so absolutely critical to this conversation. Because, you know, if we think about it, the sport of running is that discomfort. It's racing. It's, you know, performing on the track, on the cross-country course, on the road, the trail, wherever you're racing. Um, and normalizing that discomfort means experiencing it somewhat frequently so that it's not this alien sensation. And it becomes, you know, like we always like to say as coaches, you know, you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. How do you normalize it? You know, because I, I have my thoughts as a coach, but what are the psychologist's thoughts on how you normalize something that your brain absolutely does not want to normalize? I, I will, a few thoughts there. I will often guide people to some version of, oh, congratulations, you've arrived when you get to that point, because it shows that you've pushed yourself really into that physiological limiter, right? It's, it's where it starts to be uncomfortable that you are, you are purposely putting yourself in a position to push your own limits. Now, the beauty of endurance sports, especially in running, is that pace is so relative. It doesn't matter. But the experience is collective. And so one of the ways to help people is for them to think about somebody that they, that they really look up to in the sport, right? Somebody that they've seen have great success and to think like, oh, this is what Elliot, Elliot Kipchoge feels. He feels this too, right? Well, granted, he's a fair bit faster than me, but that experience is similar, right? And so there's this like powerful collective connection that I think is often understated and, and why we do this in the first place. It's the sense of belonging and connection, which is another important element of motivation that is just a beautiful part of this sport and why we do it in the first place. Do you think that because this phenomenon of discomfort is collective and it's universal among runners, I mean, you have a new runner starting today, they are going to experience race-related discomfort just like the fastest marathoner of all time. Do you then think it's potentially beneficial to frequently do workouts and races with other people so that you're exposed to runners who are better than you and who are more capable of you. And they can almost serve as role models. You know, you can watch them succeed. You can watch them perform. And not only is it inspiring, but it almost broadens your horizons of what's possible. Because I certainly experienced that as, you know, a high school and college athlete, just being around all these people who are so much better than me. And it certainly opened up my eyes to what was possible, the types of goals I should set. And it, and it really kind of put me in this, this, yeah, everyone's experienced this universally, but at the same time, wow, there are some runners who are much better at dealing with it than I am right now. And I'd like to be like them. Yeah, that's it. That's the, the power of modeling. Right. And in the sports psychology idea, it's called social facilitation. Right. And, and one, we know that that can be a powerful influencer over performing our best. Right. We get the most out of ourselves when we're next to somebody else. And if you actually look at, you know, the, the origin of the word compete, it really means to strive together. Right. It's this ability we're striving together and I get the most out of myself when I see you getting the most out of yourself. So there's power in that. And there's power in modeling, right? So let me see, you may be a lap or two ahead of me on our repeats, but let me get a cue from you about what you're doing and how you're handling that, that situation. And then let me be a conduit of that same experience for somebody who is maybe looking up to me. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of potential power in that 
that group mentality and that group training process. Yeah, I think that's really important. And certainly I'm biased because I grew up experiencing what it was like to be on a cross country and track team for eight straight years. And so I'm always pushing like people to go be on a team, to join a club, to be around other runners. I think it's so powerful. Now, another example that I wanted to run by you is, is almost very different. It's when you're out on a 20 mile long run and you're just bored. You don't want to be there. You're just running for a long time. You know, so you're not experiencing the same type of discomfort that you might when you're pushing your limits in a workout or a race. But let's just say you are alone on a long run and your mind isn't in it. What are some strategies to, to get back on track, to get in more engaged with the run so that you don't cut it short or you don't just kind of slog through the rest of it in a very unengaged way? Yeah. So great question, right? There, there's another skill that we call attentional control. And attentional control, the general idea here is that we all have influence over what we pay attention to and how we direct our focus and concentration. And you can break this into a couple of segments. You can think about your ability to focus as having internal and external data points. So what's happening within you, what's happening out in the world. And you can either be broad or narrow. So broad view or a specific view. Now, one of the skills, and this comes really, it's a really important skill when things get challenging and tough in a race, and it's great to practice on long runs or when you're bored, is to think about your ability to shift your attention across those domains. So you start with just like this broad generalization. Okay, let me be specific. I'm going to just pay close attention to the world around me, what I hear, what I see, what I smell, what's going on. And then I'm going to narrow that gaze. So I'm just going to focus on the tree or the trail or the stop sign up in front of me. I'm going to put all my attention just on that one data point until I get there. And when I want to get distracted or get bored, I'm just going to draw my attention back to that. Then you do that internally. Let me just get a general sense of where I'm at. Oh, I'm noticing I'm bored. My mind is scattered. How does my body feel? What am I noticing in terms of how my clothing is rubbing on my skin? Broad sensations. And then you narrow that down. Right? You can narrow that down to a set of thoughts. Here's how I'm going to talk to myself or a posture or a gait thing or a physical sensation. And what's important, it, it's, it's more important about the ability to drive your attention and be in control of your focus than it is about any content in those experiences. So when you get bored, that can be a cue like, oh, this is a great time for me to work on enhancing that skill. And that skill comes in mighty handy when you're at mile 20 and your brain is telling you, ouch, ouch, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. You've got to pivot around that. The more you practice it in training, the more you're going to have access to doing it in any other environment. I am so attracted to the idea of running high mileage with no music or podcasts, except the strength running podcast, obviously, but <laughs> <laughs> and just really working on this ability to change and, and alter your focus. Um, because you know, now that I've been running for such a long time, when I was running 80 to 90 miles a week, this was a time when I wasn't listening to any music or podcasts and it was almost like a form of meditation for me. So I look back in hindsight and I think I was meditating the whole time, just being able to focus and be in control of my thoughts and, and be okay on a two and a half hour run with no distractions whatsoever you know, I used to do 22 mile out and back long runs with, with no, just no music or anything. It's like, God, that's so boring. But for some reason I was able to mentally handle it. And I think that gave me a lot of focus, mental toughness, you know, the ability to sort of be calm when you've got 18 miles left in your run and you don't want to be there or to be calm when you're struggling and things are getting difficult. And so I think there's a lot of value in that, but I don't know I don't know how to build that skill besides running a lot without any distractions and, and just continuously working on it over time. Is there a shortcut or there are no shortcuts? I mean, it's, it's like strength training or preparing for a marathon, right? You, you don't do one 20 mile run in, in four months and call it a day and say, I'm ready to go run this marathon. No, right. Say with strength training, you don't do like one set of squats and say like, all right, my legs are ready to go. Mental training is just like every other training. It's like learning Spanish. It's all about consistency. 
And the more you have a deliberate approach to this, the more you have a framework for understanding these skills and the more you do it consistently, the more you're going to develop that default set of practices and standards. Now, the beauty of the mental game is your mind is already at play no matter what. You're out running. Your mind is already doing things. It's already thinking. You only really need five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day in every training session to do something deliberate to start to see the benefit in these skills. And so I just really encourage people as you're out there right now, as you're running, as you're training, what can you do every single day to practice something to enhance your mental game? Can we talk about non-sport specific activities and how they relate to mental toughness? Because I think there are a couple things right now that are super popular. Um, you know, using a sauna and getting that very high heat exposure is is getting more and more popular these days as well as cold plunges and just being, you know, exposing yourself to those kinds of extreme temperatures. What role do these sorts of uncomfortable activities play in building mental toughness over time for runners? They're, they're all challenges, right? And if you think about it from that perspective, they're challenges that can serve up the development of that skill if you apply it in that moment, right? And the application of how are you talking to yourself how are you bringing awareness to that moment? What are you doing that skill-based is where you get the mental benefit as opposed to just going in there and again, like gritting it out and, you know, bearing your knuckles and thinking you're getting some mental toughness from that. You're, you're probably not, right? So I think, you know, it's like so many things. Everybody wants to focus on that 1% of something that's new and novel as sort of the catch-all when it's probably more about the 99% that's kind of unsexy. It's sort of consistent and sort of boring, but that's how you really develop a robust platform for strength and physical training and mental well-being and mental toughness in sport. Yeah, you mentioned five to 10 minutes a day, short, simple things that you can do over time to build this mental skill. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, And and maybe you can actually talk uh, and mention your new mental skills training plan that you have at Training Peaks, because I think this is really interesting. And I've been following along the last couple of weeks with the, uh, the, the, the mental performance activities and workshops that you have in there. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've been noodling on this for a long time. I mean, it's when we first met years ago, right? The idea of like, what is the best method for putting something like this together? And I've kicked around a lot of ideas and, and this one just seemed to make the, the most sense to me, right? Is giving people distilling the science and the evidence-based practice providing that information and then providing a way to train it as you go about your day in day out process as an athlete. So I built this course. It's, it's now on training peaks. It's also on final surge and it's a 12 week long course. Every day has sort of like a little blog post about a, a, a evidence-based practice. And then like a five minute exercise, either that's a reflection or something you take into your run that helps you build these skills. Um, it goes through sort of four different content areas. The first set of skills is around foundational practices. We then talk about sort of high performance mental skills, self-talk, cognitive attributions. We then start to think about getting executing race day ready. So mental toughness skills, what that looks like. And then at the end, it's about like tapering. How do you deal with the taper psychologically? How do you deal with the post-event kind of experience you're having? Now, the hard part is, you know, it's built like you would build a training plan, like this, these skills build from one week to another, and it tries to work to build a cohesive structure. The challenge is when you overlay this and, and you buy it as a static plan, at some point, you're going to have to do a bit of your own matching, right? So sometimes the skills that I overlaid for mental toughness aren't going to hit on a, on a day that has mental toughness. So a big part of this is you're learning the mental skills, and then you have to have the ability to apply them in your training and your racing in a way that that makes authentic sense for you. Well, what I like about it is that it's actually like a training plan for mental toughness. And, you know, I, as I'm someone who basically makes a living by writing and selling training plans for runners. And I I think it's an, an amazing way to conceptualize this almost a little bit nebulous concept and really give you a day-to-day strategy for actually building these skills. And, you know, we follow training plans for running. We follow training plans for weightlifting. You know, there's training plans for almost any physical skill that you want to build. 
why isn't there a training plan for these mental skills that are so important when they're just as important as, you know, your cardiovascular fitness and your muscle strength and everything else. So I I like the format of it. And I like how, you know, you said five to 10 minutes a day, but it's not necessarily five to 10 additional minutes per day, because a lot of these, um, a lot of these activities can be done while you're running, you know, just things to think about when you're already out there running. And I think that's, a, a much more manageable approach for runners. Yeah, I, I agree on all of that. I, that's the thing that I've been thinking about for so long is how do we make this actionable training advice and not just articles or conversations, but how do you embed this in your training to become a more mentally tough athlete? And so that's where this came from. And, and you're absolutely right. This isn't in addition to. The only thing in addition to is you're going to have to read a little bit every day. Sometimes there are blog posts that are you know, they take a couple minutes to get through, but then when you're out training, right, you have a framework for what you're doing to embed these skills as you're going about your workout for that day anyway. So yeah, it's really not a lot of additional time, but hopefully it's a lot on the performance enhancement side for people. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of pro runners and it feels like within the last five years, almost every pro runner is now working with a sports psychologist. And it seemed like, 10, 15 years ago, it was a luxury. And and now I think every pro runner is talking to a sports psych and they're, they're working on these skills. It's also funny, like every pro runner now is, is lifting heavy weights. And so it's great to see how they're approaching the sport. And, And I love bringing on the subject matter experts like yourself who are working with high level athletes on all the other things in their training, not just the running that help them achieve such high levels of performance. And I think, you know, if anybody listening to this wants to maybe glimpse their potential, if they want to really try to be a high level runner, if they just want to see what they can do and get that next PR, I think it's really important to, to think about the mental side of running too. And, you know, I wish I could go back in my own running career and pay more attention to it. Cause while I think I did a lot of things right you know, almost by accident, just because I was on a team with a coach and, you know, we had a good culture. I could have gotten so much more out of my training and racing and I could have experienced less anxiety and and just been more confident, mentally tough. And I think that's, you know, that's your, your experience of the sport. It's how you mentally engage with the sport. And at the end of the day, like, yeah, we're talking about how to be mentally tough, but we're also just talking about how to really enjoy the sport and get the most out of it. And I feel like that's the softer side of mental toughness that I'm actually very attracted to. I think that's, it's it's a beautiful side to it. Absolutely. I think most people listening to this, most recreational runners are engaged in sport because it's life enhancing, right? This is a joyful part of their days. And for a lot of people, like the ability to get out and run every day is like the highlight of their day. Training for races and events is amazing right? Connecting with runners from all over the globe when you're at events is so fun, right? And yet, you know, the, the sports psychology aspect is sort of, it's like the last frontier, or at least it's the fourth frontier of how we've thought about training. You know, we, we started with a lot of physiological understanding and we've gone through that. Nutrition then became a really important element. And from nutrition, now we're talking a lot more about strength training and people are taking that far more seriously um, and embedding that into their structure. And now here we are, the fourth, the fourth discipline is the mental game. And in my opinion, the mental game is what drives all the decision-making in the first three in the first place. So you have to have a really robust set of mental skills to enjoy sport, to get the most out of it, to have it be life enhancing and to optimize your performance. I love it, Justin. This has been so fun. I, I really like your perspective on how we psychologically approach the sport. And I, and I think, you know, like we were just saying, this isn't just about running faster. This is about having more enjoyment. It's about being smarter so that you don't get hurt as frequently. So I I think there's so much value in this topic. Is there anything I missed? Is there anything that you'd like to add before we close out today about the topic of mental toughness for endurance runners? Well, I, I think the closing mark is your mind is a highly trainable skill. And it starts by that very perspective. And taking that perspective to being curious, having the willingness to try on some of these ideas, knowing that some are going to be, you know, really salient and help you out and others just may not hit and that's okay, right? It's about having some 
some willingness to try this out and, and see what works. So um, from that perspective, I think there's still a lot more to be discussed. There's a ton of topics that you could dive into the weeds, but for anybody interested, I'd, I'd really encourage you check out the plans I put together either on Training Peaks or on Final Search. Let me know what you think. Cool. I'll put links too in the show notes on strength running for those training plans. Um, you know, like I mentioned, I'm going through the Training Peaks version. It's really interesting. It's not a big time commitment, so I think it's it's a really helpful tool for building these skills. Um, so thanks a lot, Justin. Really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, Jason, always a pleasure, and uh, we'll have to get out on the bike soon one of these days oh the bike too you know i've got a road bike so i would love to go out there and and pound the big ring let's do it (laughs) all right (laughs) take care man bye that's our show today my friends thank you for listening and if you'd like to pay it forward please rate and review the show share it with your running friends or your club or invest in a training program at strengthrunning.com and if you're a runner who wants to build mental toughness Get our complimentary mindset course at strengthrunning.com slash brain. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. Use their links and discount codes to support the Strength Running Podcast and tell them they should continue sponsoring this show. First, I know I've talked about my resistance to supplements before and how excited I was to finally find a supplement company that I trusted with Prevenex. But what really sold me on their products were two things. First, I took the products myself consistently for about six weeks, and even though I was a little skeptical going into this that I was actually going to feel any benefits in such a short period of time, I did, and I genuinely felt better, and I had more energy throughout the day, but even more than that, I've seen quite a few testimonials from so many runners on the health and performance benefits that they have experienced to greatly help their running from more energy and stamina while running to faster recovery post-run. And I'm a big fan of the multivitamin, which is going to fill any nutrient gaps and needs you might have in your diet and just give you broad-based antioxidant support, which will allow you to push harder and recover quicker. But one product I want to highlight today is a product that many runners consider to be the joint supplement for runners. It's called Joint Health Plus, and you can read reviews for yourself on Prevenex.com. But to summarize, runners are seeing meaningful reductions in joint pain and faster recovery from workout to workout. So why is this great for runners specifically beyond all those benefits? Well, the main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, to reduce joint stiffness, and to improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. And beyond that, it's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blinded, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. And actually, last week, the Prevenex CEO, David, emailed me a review left by a Strength Running podcast listener. Justin B. wrote, it really works. (laughs) I find that kind of funny. It really works. I was having some pretty bad knee pain from running. I took this stuff for one week and my pain was completely gone. I love it. So if joint longevity, performance, and everyday health matter to you, check out Joint Health Plus to experience the benefits yourself. Go to Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. And use code JASON15 to save 15% on your first purchase. And best of all, Prevenex has a 100% money-back guarantee. So if you don't feel benefits, you can return the product, no questions asked. That's JASON15 for 15% off at Prevenex.com. We're also sponsored by Inside Tracker, a company that's been around for more than 10 years to help you optimize your health, your longevity, and your performance. Learn more at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning to save 20% off on their entire store. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside your body. People age at different speeds and the generic annual blood work that you get at your doctor every year doesn't properly evaluate your biological age, but InsideTracker does. InsideTracker is a truly personalized nutrition and performance system designed to extend your health span and slow down the aging process. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, InsideTracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. 
add interage 2.0 to any plan to calculate your true biological age, and you can see how you're aging from the inside out. I've personally gotten numerous inside tracker tests myself, and what I love about it is it tells you where you're deficient, and then you can go get an action plan to get out of the negative space that you're in. So if you find that your values are outside of that optimal zone, you will not only know that, but you'll have steps to get it into the actual optimal zone that you want to be in. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash strength running. That's insidetracker.com slash strength running. All right, that's our show, runners. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing this show with your friends. Support us by using our sponsor links, reviewing the podcast, or getting a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. And I'm always here to help, so don't ever hesitate to reach out to me through the Strength Running site, or you can message me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is Jason Fitz1. Talk to you soon. Bye.